Hello and welcome. This is Scary Case number four. What happened to Scary Cases two and three? Number two was a plumbing issue, and number three was rodents. So we were able to disprove any paranormal accounts these people were experiencing with a high probability of, of uh, assuredness. So this is case number four, where we had legitimate paranormal activity that we not only witnessed, but caught on film. After our first wowzer of a case, and then two duds, it was our two young psychics that were working with us at the time, Farah and her friend, whose name still escapes me, I'm sorry, turned us on to their neighbors, who were having a horrific time. In interviewing their neighbors, um, about a week later, Henry and I came to discover that their house was rather classically haunted. Uh, Full-body apparitions, object manipulation, and phantom voices, and footsteps, and other types of movement. Also, the teenage daughter living at the uh, location at the time moved out of her room, she was so scared, into the garage, where there was very little, if any, activity. Henry and I, and our two young psychics, come with us, and we begin our investigation at approximately 7 p.m. Once setup is finished, we roll into the investigation at uh, sunset, which was a bit later. This is still summer, so it was approximately mm, probably close to 8 or 8.30 when the sun actually goes down. Lights out. We're on infrared. And we start in the daughter's room. <laughs> we're not even two minutes into the investigation when we hear a... Uh, that's the best invitation I can do. Coming from the kitchen, something has been dragged across the kitchen floor, plastic, by its, you know, sound. And unfortunately, the camera we have with a, uh, that stationary, rather, we only had two cameras at the time, is shooting down the hallway looking for things to go around by. It's not focused on the kitchen at all. And of course... We something remarkable happens. So we run in, we investigate the sound, lights on in that area, and there's this large, I'd say, 20, 25-pound dog feeder slash water combo. You stick these bottles of food and water and, you know, let gravity feed the animals for a day or two or three. And this thing has moved from the back edge of the kitchen, back corner of the kitchen, to the center. And I mean the dead center of the room. And uh, that thing is was pretty full. And like I said, it's maybe 20, 25 pounds. It's not the heaviest thing in the world. But its orientation was square to the room. And it was dead center of that room. It's a square kitchen. And, <laughs> I, I don't know, something about it was off. And our, our 
clients are with us because we can't kick them out of the house. We're not a huge television show with oodles of money to burn on hotel night, you know, hotel stays. So we have our clients with us to, I guess, explain certain things that they missed in the initial interview. And I find it helpful typically to do that. But anyway, she says, as we're walking in to the kitchen, the, the owner or the, the wife of the other couple who were our clients, she was the chief contact anyway. She said, oh my gosh, I think that was the dog dish. And we walk in and sure enough, dog dish, center of the room, square with the room, perfectly centered. And all the cabinet doors are open. I mean, all of them open. Could have been someone at the scenes having fun with us, perhaps, but would defy even my good scientist friend Henry without taking multiple calculations to move that dog dish where it landed, for starters, in such a precise location. Further, none of us, even I'm six foot, and even I couldn't open some of these drawers without a step, uh, uh, cabinet doors without a step stool. So <laughs> it was. And he's Henry was shorter than I am. Never mind that Henry and I are the tallest people there. Everyone else is five six and shorter. Henry is five nine and I'm six foot. Suffice it to say, it was impossible for anyone to really reach these upper shelves, let alone open them, because everyone who could was in another room. So we you know, I have the handheld and we're recording everything after the fact. We're making speculations. Uh, Henry goes ahead and takes measurements. And he's the one who determines that is the exact center of the room. Henry being Henry, the scientist and all that, I'm, I'm so thankful he was with us because I never in a million years would have thought to take measurements of where this thing landed. So that's bizarre. And it also speaks to poltergeist activity. Usually that's what you see. Things being gathered into the precise center of a given area or space we set the dog dish back we retrain the camera so we can see both the kitchen and the hallway we had to set it back a ways from its original position then we go back into the bedroom now i'm not one to get all giddy over every orb i see on playback because you can see that many orbs even in a clean location you can have you know, if you set your camera up by a vent, for example, you're going to see airflow in the form of little dust particles. And if they get close enough to the camera lens, they'll show up. And it may look like feathers or smoke moving through. It isn't. It's dust. At least that's my... Henry and I both agreed on that in uh, creating Scary. And we pretty much blew off orbs left, right, and center. Now, where that changes is on this case. For both of us, I was the one who experienced the orb, although I didn't know it at the time. So we're doing an EVP session in the daughter's room. Uh, this is the part two after the dog dish and everything's settled and there's something off in the room. We can all kind of sense it. So we're asking questions. Uh, what's your name? Where are you from? Almost like we're on a date with this thing. It's kind of silly now that I think about it. But uh, I, I get the strange sensation in my back. It's not painful. It's kind of itchy, but not quite an itch. It's hard to explain. So low back. We're all sitting cross-legged on the floor, I might add, in a semicircle. And I scratch my back instinctively. And then 
But then my arm, my forearm on my left hand is itchy as well. And I scratched that too. You know what? I got my stuff backwards now that I think of it. The, this happened first, and then the dog dish breaks up the voice session. That's what it was. That's how it went. So this orb thing happens first. Now, I we don't know what happened. We don't see anything. I don't see anything. You know, flying around. But the dog dish event happens. We take a second, reset. I say, let's watch what we have so far. Because I have to conserve tape. <laughs> because we just didn't have enough tape. So I said, let's re review what we have. And we all stand around my camera and watch it on fast forward and you see this little orb go right through me. Pure be a bead of light, like a firefly. But this thing isn't behaving like any bug, and it literally goes through my body, through my back. You see me scratch my back immediately after, out my stomach, and then through my arm. I scratch my arm, and then out the other side of my arm, it flies off to who knows where. But it was slow moving. I wish I had the video of that, but we don't. It got destroyed, actually, in the review process. Uh, this is the days before SD cards, unfortunately. So uh, I have the tape in my possession, but it is busted. And I need to see about getting it refurbed, if it can be refurbed. It's pretty chewed up, though. I digress. So the orb thing happened first, then the dog dish. We go back to set up on the... EVP session in the daughter's room. And this is the, already, we're, we're like maybe, maybe half hour into things right about now. And something else happens and I'm rolling tape, just getting some leader for when we dive back in and we all hear it. This, this galloping, it's low and rumbly, though, not like I did here on my desk. It's that rhythm. And a full-bodied, I suppose, apparition, because the camera, I have it in infrared mode, didn't pick it up. I was so disappointed about that, because what I see come galloping down the hall and what everyone else sees, except for Henry, he naturally wasn't looking. He was looking at something else. I think he was still dealing with the dog dish issue. He heard it though. Was this, I don't know if you took a monkey or a chimpanzee and you shaved it, right? You know how chimpanzees gallop when they run, they kind of have that, they charge with their shoulders kind of almost crab-like as they run. Not like humans do, because they don't. their legs aren't long enough. But um, they kind of, on all fours, they kind of do this crab three-quarter, halfway. It's hard to explain. But they, they charge with their shoulders, and they kind of run and gallop like a, like a horse or something. And it's pretty effective, I guess, in the wild. But um, imagine just shave a chimpanzee. And you have the basics of what this horrible thing looked like. Now, its skin, which I could clearly see, skin was almost elephantine. And this, it, at first, I didn't think it had a head. So for a moment, it was a headless, bald, or shaved monkey charging down this thing. But I do recall 
that one of the other witnesses to this said, I saw the face and it was so hunched it looked like its shoulders were above its, up to its ears almost. It's like, oh, that's horrible looking. It, you know, and I will have to rely on that account because that's not what I saw. I saw the very back of this thing as it charged down the hall. And uh, no tail to speak of, but certainly a chimpanzee movement, like I keep saying. Man, I, I'm, I'm near speechless thinking about it now. But it was only, like I said, 30 to 40 minutes in, and we already had three things happen. So we take it kind of as a sign that we're not going to get any action in the daughter's room and we move into the living room where everything keeps seeming to lead us and the living room and the setup of this little condo was as you walk in the front door you're in the living room and then across the way from that's the dining area and tucked in behind the wall that would make up part of the hallway is the kitchen so we adjourn to the living room. We proceed to do an EVP session. We explore a few more things in the kitchen in infrared. Nothing really comes to light, even in the playback. And there's one more place to really investigate before the husband has to go to sleep. He has an early day, and we can't keep him out of the house any longer. <laughs> so we investigate the master bedroom at the very end of the hallway at the back of the house. This is where things get especially strange <laughs> and that's saying something on this case we all sit in a semi-circle before the master bed uh, it's a spacious you know, bedroom walk-in closet all that fun stuff and i want to point out that next to the bed is a full-length mirror on a stand i set the camera up with the mirror and the shot and the and then the rest of us are before the camera and our I will call her for the purposes of this instance, our lead psychic, her Farah, the one who was mentioned before by the EVP, closes her eyes and kind of dips into a trance. We're asked EVP questions. Henry and I, Henry asks one, I ask one. And then right in the middle of asking another question, Farah says, shut up. I mean, rude too. And I said, wait, what? What's going on? Do you picking up on something? No, be quiet. He's here. <laughs> Okay, who's here? And she says, it's a man. And I ask, who is he? She res responds, he's angry at you. And I say, he's angry at me or at the client? And he's, she points. Her eyes are dead closed. I don't think she even knew where I was in the circle at this point. Eyes closed, she points to me directly. I said, "You're she. He's angry at me. Yes, he keeps waggling his finger at you like bad, bad boy, bad boy." She says, "And I'm, I don't know what I've done. <laughs> I'm just there to conduct an investigation. If he doesn't like what's happening, you should do something about it." And that's when I start challenging. Not the smartest move in the world, but. At the same time, sometimes you have to aggravate the entities to get something to happen. Never mind, a lot's already happened. Um, and we're rolling tape, so I'm excited to get something on tape. So I say, oh, he, he doesn't like me being here? Then he should do something about it. 
And the room goes cold at that moment. <laughs> We're not seeing our breath or anything, but it was decidedly warm evening and it got very chilly in there all of a sudden. And he, Farah relays, he's, he's wagging his fingers at you even harder now, like he's yelling at you. And I ask, well, what's he saying? It, it's hard to interpret. He has an accent. And my, our client, the wife, turns to me with this shocked look on her face. And she says, you know what? The owner of this place was from like Austria or something. He had a really thick accent. And that's, that's the cue for Henry. Now, Henry's a remarkable individual, not only a scientist, but uh, a linguist as well. He spoke, I think, seven languages, including German. Um, so I said, Henry, hit it. <laughs> and Henry starts asking, well, who are you in German? And uh, what are you doing here in German? And why are you haunting these people in German? <laughs> no response. Farah finally pipes up after a moment, a few moments of silence, because no, he's not responding to Henry whatsoever. And uh, Farah says something along the lines of, he says, that's very sneaky. This entity apparently speaking through her or using her as a relay a medium. And I say, what's sneaky? Me having someone speak your language? That's sneaky? How's that sneaky? And I'm still challenging. I'm getting a little pissed in reality. I'm, I'm beyond investigator mode. I'm starting to take it a little personally. And uh, that's when Farah starts weeping. I said, Farah, what's wrong? And she's overwhelmed by this entity, apparently. It's like screaming at her in the language she doesn't understand. Most likely in German. And she's weeping. She's weeping. I'm saying, Farah, can you fight it? And she wobbles her head, no, she can't fight it. And I said, okay, we're done. You get, you leave her alone, we'll get out of here. And uh, she, she again, waggles her head, but it's a yes this time, up and down. And, okay, leave her alone, we'll leave. I'm lying my ass off, by the way, we never left. But um, she calms down. She comes out of her trance-like state and we're all exhausted by this entire thing. We are all on pins and needles. No one moved a muscle during this entire experience. And uh, when she wakes up, we turn lights on, we pack up the room because our, client our client's husband has to go to bed anyway. And then... I play a fun little sneaky trick. He likes me to be sneaky. Okay, I says uh, to everyone, we're going to be sneaky. I left the room. Ha ha, I didn't say I'd leave the house. I, I did leave the room, though. And he has to deal with it. Maybe that'll provoke something. Uh, be careful what you say and wish for. Um, <laughs> as, uh, as it turns out, by this point, through throughout the night, we have hit the so it's 12 a.m actually it's midnight the husband has to get the bed so we bug out of the back room 
And uh, I didn't, I said I'd leave the room, not the house. So, haha, on the entity, and maybe I'm hoping that'll stir something up and get get this thing riled and mad at me more that he'll actually show up on tape. Be careful what you wish for. So we bang around the front of the house for lack of a better term. Uh, and we even go into the daughter's new bedroom in the garage. Nothing happens there. Uh, we go into the backyard where there was some reported activity. It's pretty, there's a lot of noise. It's pretty contaminated out there as far as noise pollution goes, just because of jets flying overhead and stuff like that. And we can't be too loud because most of our neighbors are already asleep. We're the only morons who are up on a Thursday night. Uh, so... <laughs> <laughs> Doing our job, but still. We adjourn back inside and set up a camera to record on its own. It's 2 a.m. by this point, and we're all a little tired and we're all hungry. We skipped dinner and we're starving, so let's go out and get some food. And we'll leave the cameras running and they'll record what they record and... Then we'll call it a night. And we hear this disturbing music. And I'm going to try to replicate it. It's not even that melodic. It was it was demented sounding. And out walks the husband in his underwear. He doesn't care. And uh, he's holding up his cell phone. And um, his wife says... <laughs> Uh, oh my gosh, that's the sound. That's the sound. This has happened before. Oh my gosh, this is the thing I was telling you about. The alarm going off at odd hours that we never said it for. And um, it's like a, a like a music box that's been melted but continues to play and it's really disharmonic sounding. That would certainly wake me up and probably make me pee myself too. But anyway, it was disturbing. And uh, we all rushed back into the house and... Uh, Henry, the scientist, cruises over, takes the phone, turns off the alarm. So he's digging through the directory of these of this little clamshell digital phone. He says, that's weird. I can't find the alarm for this. So there's no alarm set for this thing. There's no reason for it to go off at 2.30. He says, and I can't even find the song because he goes through the song list and plays like the two-second preview clips, which they used to have <laughs> back in the day. So, and he couldn't find the song. And then he says, I, I wonder if it's one of those songs that are embedded in the phone for a, speci a, a special thing. So, he digs through the directory a little bit, and he finds the song. Demented little music box song. And he plays it for us. Yep, that's the one. And, um... He says, you know where it is? It's like, where? He says, it's in the conference call section of the phone. If you plug this into a conference call, uh, you know, you can pay a, a box. Corporate people use this. He's, he was a member of corporate society. He is, his day job as a finance guru had him in boardrooms all the time. He says, well, I've seen this before. You plug this into the, the conference call box and... You can activate this phone as a like a, a secondary receiver down the line, or use it as a separate uh, speaker phone. I said, "Oh, okay." 
so but that's the, that's the tone it says that's the only place that you'll find this song because it's different and uh it's weird it shouldn't ring because he's not doing a conference call at 2:30 in the morning or 2 in the morning so henry asks him <laughs> you don't do conference calls do you he says nope never done one before in my life and uh husband husband's like bleary still is like all right um so he turns it off or rather, he closes the phone, hands it back to him, says it shouldn't go off again. If it does, <laughs> and he doesn't even finish the sentence, this demented music box sound plays again. Henry snatches it from him, turns it off, looks at the phone for a second, takes the directory a short while more, and then he says to the husband, do you have an alternative alarm clock you can use for tonight? He says, yeah, I think so. I said, okay, good. Closes the phone, pops the battery out of the phone. Now he's got the battery in one hand and cell phone in the other. And he says, you're not going to hear that sound anymore tonight. So as I solve that problem and he slaps it on this uh, kind of a, it was like a, like a counter, like a breakfast bar, but it wasn't really a breakfast bar uh, partition to the kitchen. Um, it's hard to explain, like the cabinets were too low, but anyway, um, so he puts it there and the husband says, okay, great. And the husband turns and takes maybe two or three steps. Now you will recall Henry pulled the battery out of this thing. Cell phones of the day didn't have a residual capacitor for emergency battery. And if they did, they were typically satellite phones, and they were terribly expensive. And these folks were not able to afford what was then probably a $700 phone. So the technology was rare and unique for it to be able to have its own emergency battery. So Henry Henry's puzzled. He's He picks up the phone. No battery on it, mind you. The battery's separate from this device right now. And he opens up the clamshell it's still playing he turns off the thing the the alarm the song and it goes dead henry is flabbergasted he tries to turn it on without the battery in no luck no residual charge it, it's fascinating when an intellect like henry's is challenged because he has zero explanation except for this. He says, there must have been a residual charge left over in the phone. But I point out to him, as I just mentioned, those models don't have emergency battery capacitors. So, explain that, super genius. <laughs> I didn't say it like that, but... Uh, he was baffled and we were all so thrilled because we caught it on tape for starters. Everybody witnessed it. It was one of the most paranormal things that ever happened to us. And we were both stunned, scared, and excited at the exact same time. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's still, I still can't explain that. That, that was definitely something weird going on. And, um, we're all yawning and rubbing our eyes and trying to figure this phone thing out. And we stay 
for like an hour longer. We don't go out to eat. We wait and we wait and we wait and we talk throughout this whole thing. Waiting for this phone to ring again. It doesn't. And uh, as we finally begin our pack up, because it's like 3.30 in the morning at this place, at this point, we get everything out to the car. And I'm saying goodbye to our client. And she's thanking me for validating her experiences. And, you know, because she was starting to feel a little crazy. Never mind, her family had experienced these things too, but they wanted to forget it. And she wanted it explained. And throughout the investigation, I kept up my head on these paper lanterns that didn't have any lanterns in them. They're more like decoration. And these paper lanterns were five-sided stars and cut out into these stars. And they were big. They're like maybe two, three foot across. No, maybe maybe more like a foot and a half across. Big stars hanging from the ceiling. And there were a series of them going from the main bedroom down the hall all the way into the kitchen area, the kitchen living room area, straight line. And these big paper lanterns are five-pointed stars uh, hung point down as a, an inverted Venetian star or pentagram. But cut out within these stars are multiple other little five-point stars at various angles. I never did a count of what stars were pointing up, what stars were pointing down, but... Uh, I did note that there was an iconography and perhaps an energy issue in the house because in every single room, there was a cross, a simple brass crucifix. These people were Catholic or Christian, and they had these decidedly paganistic paper lanterns. Now, you can get these things at Bombay, so I ask... As we're leaving, say, like, where'd you get these stars from? Oh, my mother brought them off a of Bruja in like Chile. <laughs> what? <laughs> and suddenly everything starts to click. Uh, okay, you have you have a, a Bruja send, selling stuff. Not necessarily a bad thing, but uh, you have that energy flowing through the house, which is decidedly, I guess you could call it for lack of a better term, pagan, set up, set against all this other Christian or Catholic iconography in the crucifixes. And you're inviting a collision, you know, depending how much power and emphasis was poured into these different things. Uh, most crosses and crucifixes are blessed. Same thing goes with a lot of pagan stuff. It'll be blessed in the pagan way. So if you have this collision of energies you're inviting a lot of interesting traffic through your place. So as I'm looking, there's a straight line for where all these disturbances are happening from the kitchen to the back room. A line of these stars are hanging down the hallway. So I said, do me a favor. You're going to pull all these stars down tonight. She says, okay. You want me to throw them away? I said, nope, don't throw them away. Don't burn them or anything like that. Fold them up because they were collapsible. Fold them up and put them in all in the same bag 
tie it off, and shove it into the attic. Oh, really? I said, yeah, just do that for me. We'll see you in two days. Okay. So two days comes. I'm I'm uh, having trouble with the uh, camera interfacing with my computer. So I bring the camera with me to show her some of the evidence we caught. And um, when we walk into this place, the stars are down, as I had asked her to do. And this place feels a thousand times better. It's not as heavy and dark feeling as it was when we first got there. And uh, it's not stuffy feeling. It's it's open and beautiful. And the AC is actually doing its job. It, that was one complaint. It's like the environmental control system... Listen how Star Trek that sounded. Um, the AC unit wasn't doing its job, and she'd had people out to check it. It's working fine. I don't know what's going on. Uh, you may have to get your vents cleaned, and that's that's a $300 procedure no one wants to endure. So <laughs> she said, eh, we'll deal with it later. Uh, so later on, fans and all that fun stuff, but... Lo and behold, two days later, we go back to her place and everything, the AC is working beautifully. It's nice and comfortable and cool inside the house. And it just feels better. And I ask her, how's the activity been? So she took the stars and she says, it's abated. It's not gone. It's not here anymore. Nothing's happened. My daughter moved back into her room yesterday. We, Henry and I check it out. Sure enough, the daughter's stuff that was in the garage is back in her bedroom. And we go over the evidence with uh, the client on my camera. And I explain to her how I'm having interface issues between the camera and the computer. But then I will get her a DVD. That did not come to pass. I got home later. The camera ate the tape. So all that wonderful evidence was summarily destroyed. It's worth mentioning on that tape also during the circle in the master bedroom when our psychic had her episode with the entity in the full-length mirror by the bed behind her a clear outline of a human figure appeared thank you so much for listening this is tim sedano with paranormal insight